from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Elizabeth Bathory. Elizabeth Bathory was born on August 7, 1560 in Nierbator, Hungary, and I'm sure I butchered that, I do apologize. And that is located in kind of the top northeastern part of Hungary, not far from the borders of Romania, Slovakia, and the Ukraine. So let's get into some history for that time. Now, less than a hundred years before Elizabeth's birth, we saw the death of Vlad the Impaler. I did a podcast on the true story behind the movie Bram Stoker's Dracula, where I told Vlad's entire life story. So if you are interested, you can listen to that podcast. But long story short, Vlad was important to this area and its history as he tried desperately to keep the Ottoman Empire from invading and taking control over these lands. He was mostly successful, but was ultimately killed. During the years around when Elizabeth was born, there had been a temporary territorial division between two rival rulers, John I and Ferdinand I. Now, according to history, John was the actual king of Hungary and Croatia, and Ferdinand was just claiming to be the king of Hungary. During the Ottoman Wars, the territory of the former Kingdom of Hungary was reduced by nearly 70%. But, despite this level of loss, the smaller and heavily war-torn Royal Hungary remained economically more important than even Austria. Due to the Ottoman occupation in the region, Hungary was basically split into three sections. The Habsburg Royal Hungary, Ottoman Hungary, and the somewhat independent Principality of Transylvania. So there was some unrest in the region during her time as well. Elsewhere during the 16th century, much of Europe was living the same as England kind of was. It was the Tudor times, following the Black Death and the agricultural depression of the generation before the human population was beginning to increase. This, of course, stimulated economic growth for England and much of the world. Most people lived in small villages and made their living from farming, but towns were growing pretty rapidly. In 1560, we see the Treaty of Berwick negotiated 
between Queen Elizabeth I, the Duke of Norfolk, and the group of rebellious nobles known as the Scottish Lords of the Congregation. The purpose of this treaty was to agree to the terms by which an English fleet and army could come to Scotland to, you know, get rid of some French troops that were there. Then later this same year, the Treaty of Edinburgh was signed between England, France, and Scotland. The French left Scotland, then shortly after began the Scottish Reformation, de-establishing Roman Catholicism in Scotland. And then we have Denmark literally buying the Estonian island of Sarama in its prince-slash-bishop. For those that don't know, the Estonian islands are in the Baltic Sea of the east coast of Estonia. Not too far from the shores of Sweden and Finland. Also during this time, the Great Age of Piracy in the Caribbean begins. Pirates were often former sailors who were quite experienced in naval warfare. The pirate captains recruited seamen to loot European merchant ships, focusing most on the Spanish treasure fleets sailing from the Caribbean to Europe. Eric XIV was crowned the King of Sweden. St. Basil's Cathedral was completed in Moscow. There were countless battles in Asia, and then we had witches being executed in Germany. So this was the atmosphere that Elizabeth was born into. Her father was Baron George IV Bathory. His brother had been the Voivod of Transylvania. Her mother was Baroness Anna Bathory. Now Anna's father had also been a Voivod of Transylvania. Anna's brother was a Hungarian nobleman, the King of Poland, and the Grand Duke of Lithuania of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, and the Prince of Transylvania. And, as I'd stated before, Elizabeth's great-uncle was the Vlad Dracul. As you can see, she was definitely born into nobility, and actually born into one of the oldest and wealthiest families in the area. Her family actually owned the town they lived in from the late 1200s until 1613. But back then, to keep the royal bloodlines, quote, pure, inbreeding was common, and Elizabeth's family was no exception. We do know that her parents were first cousins. We also know that she had two brothers and two sisters. She began having epileptic seizures from a very young age, and it is thought that the inbreeding was the cause. Now, human inbreeding is very serious and, well, very bad. Without the genetic diversity, people run the risk of otherwise recessive genes to come forward. There is a sharp increase in several different genetic disorders such as blindness, hearing loss, neonatal diabetes, physical deformities, disorders of sex development, overall health such as blood pressure problems, high density lipoprotein cholesterol, and body mass index. Also, 
Studies have proven that children born from inbreeding have a significant decline in cognitive abilities. It has even been proven to significantly increase the chances of schizophrenia. Needless to say, it's just not good. But this was common practice among nobility, so no one would have even batted an eye. Epilepsy in and of itself is a neurological disorder where the person experiences sudden recurring episodes of sensory disturbance, loss of consciousness, has convulsions, all associated with abnormal electrical activity in the brain. And this would have, of course, been quite distressing to those who were tasked with caring for her. A common treatment back then get this guys, was to take the blood of someone who did not suffer from the, quote, falling sickness and rub it on the lips of the person having the seizure. And she was also known to have these, you know, fits of rage as a small child, but sources say her father did too. And it was also suggested that she did suffer from migraines. But outside of all of that, she was actually rather intelligent, and she learned to speak and write Latin, German, and Greek in her younger years. She learned mathematics, logic, and even taught herself the Slavic language of her servants. She was raised Protestant, so she was most certainly not Roman Catholic, though most of her extended family was. Due to her noble birth, she was, of course, afforded the best education and held a very, very high social standing. And it seems that she was a bit of a willful child. She demanded to be treated just as well as the males around her. She could have been described as a tomboy, wanting to learn how to fence and ride horses. So, by all standards of the times, she had a fantastic childhood. But then you find stories of how she witnessed and even laughed at people being beaten and tortured as punishment for minor crimes in her early years. Some even say she enjoyed watching these tortures, even looking forward to them. When she was just 10 to 11 years old, she became engaged to 16-year-old Count Ferenc Nadesti, which was quite typical for a young girl from nobility. A girl would become engaged as a young girl and then move into the estate of her future in-laws until she was ready to marry. This was most likely a politically arranged marriage, but her fiancé's social standing was unfortunately lower than hers. Now, there are some sources that state that, at the age of 13, she gave birth to an illegitimate child with a peasant boy, and that the baby was given to a local woman whom the Bathory family trusted. But this is just a story, and there's really no way to prove it either way. Elizabeth, who was described as stunningly beautiful, at 15 years old, finally married her fiancé, but she refused to take his last name due to his lower social status, forcing Ferenc to take her last name instead. 
The marriage ceremony took place in a palace, and it is said that about 4,500 people were in attendance. So this was a hugely popular occasion. Her wedding gift from her husband was the castle that his mother had bought him. He transferred the castle to his young bride. It was in the Carpathian Mountains in what is now Slovakia. Also included in this property was a country house and 17 nearby small villages. She settled into her new castle and her husband was often gone, studying in Vienna. And when he wasn't studying, he was learning the art of war. Now there is some speculation that while her husband was out of town beginning his part in fighting against the Ottoman forces, the constant Ottoman forces, Elizabeth had a, quote, manservant who introduced her to the occult. She was also given the task of tending her ailing mother-in-law, though she could barely tolerate that woman. In 1678, Ferenc became the chief commander of the Hungarian troops, being given the title of, quote, Black Knight of Hungary, still fighting the Ottomans while Elizabeth managed home business affairs and all of the estates. And this included taking care of the villagers' needs, like, you know, medical needs and so on. Elizabeth gave birth to her first child, you know, depending on what you believe, of course, a daughter she named Anna when she was 25 years old. Now, the reason that she and Ferenc didn't have any children together for the first 10 years of their marriage was simply that he was gone and she was being taught how to run a kingdom. But they did have a total of five children. Okay, so now we are at the part where there are some gray areas as to where the evil actions began. Sources vary. It has been said that Elizabeth's husband would use the bowels of their castle to torture enemies. He was a very good soldier and military leader, but he used very intense and cruel methods when dealing with enemies. Some say that Elizabeth was witness to these things, learned from the best, as they say, as if the power couple were bonded over the cruelty they could show. Now, as you probably assumed, she had a whole host of servants to do things needed to keep a castle going. Elizabeth was most likely getting frustrated with having to tend to her mother-in-law that she truly could not stand. A husband that was in and out of the house that she loved, but again, mostly absent. And having to take over and deal with the needs of the villagers and on and on. Now, during the long war between 1593 and 1606, Elizabeth was in charge of defending her husband's estates, which lay on the route to Vienna, and the threat was significant because the village near her castle had previously been plundered by the Ottomans, the goddamn Ottomans. There were several instances where it has been written that she intervened on behalf of destitute women, including a woman whose husband was captured by the Ottomans and a woman whose daughter was raped and impregnated by Ottoman soldiers. She, at least the stories say, would even invite them into the castle to stay for a while. 
So, I mean, she did do her part in trying to keep her people as safe as she could. And there are still existing letters that she wrote, by the way, she wrote beautifully, that speak of how much she loved and favored her children and how protective she felt toward them, which is excellent. But again, the strain of everything around her put her under a lot of stress. And then all of a sudden in 1601, her husband began complaining of horrific pain in his legs. Elizabeth was 41 years old by this time. There's no real way of knowing exactly what her husband was suffering from, but we do know that it got worse, and just two years later, he was completely and permanently disabled. This is when whispers began about how cruel Elizabeth acted toward the many servant girls that she employed. The stories consist of her whipping them, burning them with, quote, fire irons, inserting needles under their fingernails. Some sources say she began actually biting pieces of flesh out of the young girls, mostly their shoulders and their faces. And then, Ference died in January of 1604, leaving Elizabeth in charge of, well, everything. But she did mourn her husband's death. He had been a very successful and highly honored and decorated war hero who had actually successfully pushed the goddamn Ottomans back out of their lands as well as being able to reclaim many castles that the Ottomans had captured. He was beyond respected throughout their lands. He and Elizabeth had been married for 29 years and there is no article that I found out of the plethora that I read that said their marriage was anything but a happy one. By all accounts, he had been a good and kind husband in his treatment to his wife, at least. But he had also worked at keeping her rather disturbing actions as quiet and as secret as he could. So we know that she mourned the loss of her husband, but it was also at this point that she sent her mother-in-law away. She was again in her very early 40s, concerned about aging and feared terribly that she was losing her youthful beauty as she had always been considered, you know, an attractive woman. She also, around the time her husband had fallen ill, hired and befriended a woman named Anna who was rumored to be a witch. As one source said, her husband might have taught her how to torture but Anna taught her how to kill. She was actually able to get a small group of women to help her in her new full-time hobbies. Also, Elizabeth was running out of money. She lived a very lavish lifestyle because her husband would, of course, bring home the spoils of war, as it were, gold and jewelry and so on. So now with her husband gone and not wanting to scale back her spending, she began making trips to the royal treasury, demanding that they give her the enormous amount of money they had owed her husband. She also began selling precious items that they had owned in their castles and properties to get money. It appeared as though Elizabeth was suffering some kind of mental breakdown. Within the safety of her castle walls, she stopped caring what anyone thought of her 
and she lashed out in murderous rage if anyone questioned her behaviors. Outside of the safety of the walls, parents were delighted that Elizabeth offered to take their daughters in and teach them proper etiquette. Some girls were flat out kidnapped and taken into the castle. Some she had their hands burned, some she starved to death, some she had beat, and one story in particular, though I don't know if it's entirely true, was that she covered some in honey and ants. She had some girls' fingers cut off, others she had disemboweled. So here begins the stories of Elizabeth's cruelty. One such story that is most likely untrue, or at least greatly exaggerated, involves a servant girl who was brushing Elizabeth's hair and accidentally pulled too hard. It is said that she slapped the girl's hand so hard that she somehow drew blood, which a drop of fell onto Elizabeth's hand. She immediately thought that her skin looked fresh and younger and thought she had found the fountain of youth. So she had the servant girl stripped, cut her, and drained her of blood into a tub of some kind, where Elizabeth got in and bathed her entire body in it. So Anna and another henchman that Elizabeth used continually supplied her with fresh, young maidens to drain of blood and bathe in. What survivors actually said was that when Elizabeth and her, quote, friends were done torturing these girls, the floor would be covered in blood. But naturally, peasant girls began to disappear, but no one really noticed because, quite frankly, there were plenty and quite disposable. And if anyone did question where a girl had gone, they were assured that the girl must have run away or any other excuse. But Elizabeth did have the local pastors or priests come to deliver last rites for these, quote, poor servant girls who died of cholera. Oh, and did I mention most of these girls were between the ages of 10 and 14? But the local ministers started to become rather suspicious at the sheer number of young girls that they were being called to come and have buried. One said, quote, Your grace should not have acted so because it offends the Lord, and we will be punished if we do not complain to you and criticize your grace. And in order to confirm that my words are true, we need only exhume the body and you will find that the marks identify the way in which death occurred." Unquote. Elizabeth threatened one priest in order to keep him from speaking the news of her favorite pastime. So he had the bodies buried for her in secret, but then that wasn't good enough. So the bodies began to appear in fields, wheat silos, the creek that ran near her castle, and even the castle's vegetable garden. So one evening in December of 1610, one of the local authorities went to the castle and arrested Elizabeth and four of her servants slash henchmen while they were having dinner. All were accused of torture and murder. A search of the castle was conducted, and sources say there was a girl they actually found a girl tied up and in the process of being tortured 
But, you know, the group had paused to have their dinner. Some say that when she was, quote, arrested, her gown was covered in blood, but this is likely not true. However, it is said that a trial and execution would have caused so much civil unrest in the region, which was delicate and war-weary as it was, that they wanted to secretly take her to a convent, but in the end, it was decided that she would be held under house arrest and no further punishment would befall her. There was a sort of internal trial with witnesses, though, and her official body count is said to be 80, but popular culture likes to inflate that number exponentially. Some sources say she was kept in a bricked room in a sort of solitary confinement. Other sources say she was free to walk the halls as if she had done nothing wrong. Elizabeth did take the time to create a will for her children, where the estates and lands would be divided amongst them. Then four years later, at 54 years old, she told a member of her guard that her hands felt unusually cold. The guard told her she was fine and to go lay down and rest. She was found in her bed, dead the next morning. The villagers wanted nothing to do with her being buried in their cemeteries, so it has been said that she was taken back to her town of birth and put in the family crypt. But in reality, her location is not known. The crypt does not show any markings that would indicate that she is there. So guys, this case is a famous one, indeed, and it's interesting to me that she was somewhat closely related to Vlad the Impaler. There are some scholars who suggest that she was innocent and harmed no one, that her murderous reputation was part of a conspiracy due to her very high social status and wealth, political things, and so on. I mean, she owned a very large amount of land, especially after her husband died. She was also Protestant in a land that was nearly all Catholic. And then, you know, the goddamn Ottomans and so on. But it is still a very interesting case. 